chapters eleven and twelve of the interrupted kiss by richard marsh this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven an overheard conversation what miss graham had said proved to be correct the fringe of bracken served as so excellent a screen that when the two girls crouched down they were completely hidden so long as they kept still any one might pass close to them and not guess that they were there they had not however gone to cover a moment too soon scarcely had they done so when two persons came tramping down into the dell with whose identity they were both of them familiar one of them was inspector falcon and the other was the village constable george wilkins it was the latter who spoke first this was where i found it just about where i am standing though it might have been a mite closer to that old oak mr wilkins was standing where miss scarlett had just been kneeling the inspector put to him a question you are sure that it's his there are his initials on it w p and i showed it to maggie hunt who's one of the housemaids and she recognized it as his match-box she says she saw it in his hand that very day he passed it to mr harmer for him to get a light with as she was helping tyrell to set out the tea then your theory is that he came through the woods and made a stop here what for to light a cigar there was the match-box about where i'm standing and close by it was a half-burned match you've got it in the box what did he do with the papers he must have had his arms full of them i expect he put them down while he was lighting up perhaps it was getting them together again made him overlook his match-box he must be a pretty cool card to have stopped here to light a cigar after what he'd just been doing then where did he go up that bank along that footpath to the left and through that belt of firs you see in the distance then he either got tired or doubtful about his way or something because he sat on the fence beyond and finished his cigar i found what was left of it in the ditch on the other side and i gave it to you and then he went across the sixteen-acre field and through joe radford's farm how do you know that radford left eight cows out in his bottom meadow he shut the gate which opens into the road and made it fast with a stake in the morning the cows were out in the road the gate was open and the stake was gone mr palgrave he opened the gate and took the stake with him though if he left it open on purpose i can't say he might more easily have got over it but he didn't which way did he take afterwards somewhere about two miles along the road he turned on to the downs towards peterham who told you that there was a large flock of sheep on the downs that night the shepherd was sleeping in his hut with the door open about three o'clock in the morning he was woke by something but he couldn't think what when he got outside he couldn't stop to find out what had woke him because the dogs were barking and the sheep were tearing off in all directions as if they'd gone mad when he'd herded them again and got back he found a large hedge stake which he was sure hadn't been there overnight lying close to his hut mr palgrave for the fun of it threw that stake at the hut as he went past it was the noise it made which woke the shepherd and frightened the sheep i showed it to joe ratford he said he fastened his gate which he found open with one just like it have you tracked walter palgrave any further not at present i haven't but i shouldn't be surprised if i did before very long the inspector regarded his subordinate with what seemed to be a mixture of feelings you must be a bloodhound you must do you walk along with your nose to the ground i can't say that i do but i was brought up in these parts and before i joined the force i was three years under-keeper in these woods so i got into the habit of noticing things you seem to what else have you what you call noticed for instance 
have you noticed that there's any one up at the house who perhaps knows better where walter palgrave went to that night than you do thrusting his thumbs into his belt mr wilkins assumed that he perhaps meant to be a judicial heir i shouldn't be surprised if there was who any one in particular the two young ladies especially miss graham what makes you think miss graham knows more than anybody else maggie hunt whose name i just now mentioned she's been noticing things and from what she's told me i've formed my own conclusions oh you have have you then just you show me the place where you found the rest of that cigar and as we go along perhaps you'll tell me what are the conclusions you have formed the two men strode together up the bank and passed out of sight and presently out of sound some time elapsed before the pair in hiding ventured to move then very gingerly inch by inch miss scarlet raised her head and looked around she spoke in a sepulchral whisper they have gone miss graham appeared at her side without attempting to move from where they were they spoke together in whispers miss scarlet beginning with a question they're a nice couple they are did you hear what they said every word he's a beauty that wilkins is i've heard about him before he has the reputation in the village of being as sharp as a razor he seems to be a dangerous man dangerous i should think so so he found his match-box and his match and his cigar and the gate he left open and the stick he threw at the shepherd's hut i wonder if palgrave did do what he said he did i haven't much faith in policemen in a general way but if he did what's the odds that wilkins won't end up by finding out where he got to after all that'll be nice for all of us if he does what makes him think that you know more about where walter palgrave is than anybody else i don't know sure i can only suppose that maggie's been telling him things but i've no notion what i should keep an eye on miss maggie hunt if i were you she seems to have been noticing you a good deal it's about time you noticed her miss graham diverted the conversation into a slightly different channel who was the man who warned us that they were coming where did he come from and which way did he go or do you think that he's still there the two girls stared across the hollow at the break of fern that's what i've been wondering all the while don't you know who he was i never saw him in my life before i'll tell you one thing come closer i don't want even the leaves to hear he knows more about the inside of a prison than he ought to i should say he hadn't long been out of one what makes you think so if jail wasn't written large all over him i can't read it was on his face in his eyes did you not notice how short his hair was more than anything it was in the way he whispered they're not allowed to talk in there so i'm told that the old hands get a knack of speaking without moving their lips in a whisper the sound of which only reaches the man it's meant to i thought of that when he was whispering to us did you notice how he did it no one could have heard but us i'm afraid i didn't i'm wondering how long he had been there watching and listening i hope he didn't see you put those papers in your bag or where they came from you can't hope it more sincerely than i do i'm beginning to wish that i'd left this sort of thing alone it really isn't in my line at all anyhow it's no good my stopping here any longer i tell you what i've half a mind to leave this bag with you don't please he asked you to get those papers i expect he wants them you'll only increase the danger by leaving them here it's all very well for you to talk but what price me if they're found in my possession what sort of explanation am i going to give 
i've got a feeling about mr wilkins that he'd know what was inside the bag if he only saw the outside but as you say he did ask me to get em and i know he wants them though what for beats me he'll never dare to do anything with them still i never have shirked yet and i'm not going to start now nothing venture nothing win so i'll take myself off with the bag you let me have a bit of lead before you start to go so long if you receive a communication signed with my initials you'll know who it's from with the leather bag in her hand miss scarlet moved swiftly and lightly off among the trees in the opposite direction to that taken by inspector falcon and police constable wilkins chapter twelve lionel fitzherbert esq and for the third time elsie graham was left alone that is so far as any visible companion was concerned her eyes remained fixed on the break of bracken over the top of which the man's head had so unexpectedly appeared miss scarlett's departure had been noiseless elsie strained her ears to catch a sound all was still even the birds were silent only now and then there was a faint sighing as of the breeze among the trees her nervous system had undergone a greater strain than she would have cared to admit events of the most unlooked-for kind had crowded on each other so quickly that she was reduced to a condition in which she was almost fearful of what might happen next who was the man who had warned them what had he been doing there how had he come noiselessly unperceived or was he yet in the bracken the possibility that this might be so that himself invisible he might be playing the spy on her watching her every movement was more than she could endure the envelope endorsed with the significant two words my will was still in her possession she had not spoken of it herself if miss scarlett had observed it it was sufficiently prominent a good half was sticking out between the buttons of her blouse she had shown no curiosity as to what it might be now elsie placed the entire envelope within her blouse making sure that none of it was visible from without then quitting what had been her hiding-place she walked across the dell towards the bracken as she drew near the great fan-like leaves swayed violently to and fro disturbed by some one's sudden movement running up the bank she gained the top just in time to see a man straighten his figure as reaching the open he dashed into a patch of hawthorns which grew so close they seemed to swallow him up she shouted to him stop i want to speak to you tell me who you are even to herself it sounded rather like the petulant cry of a child her appeal went unanswered the runaway had vanished from sight without her even getting a clear view of him as he went who was he that he continued to spy upon her in so unpleasant a fashion why at her approach had he so precipitately fled her impulse was to follow to hunt him down circumstanced as she was mystery was the thing she dreaded most a second's reflection showed her how absurd on her part such an attempt would be she might chase him for hours without bringing him to bay if she ever succeeded in bringing him to bay at all it would be better and more dignified to treat him with contempt she resolved to return home conscious that her hair had caught in the fronds of the bracken as she lay in hiding she put up her hands to smooth her dishevelled tresses she presented a very enticing picture as she stood there amid the wealth of greenery a slight flush on her usually pale cheeks and something in her eyes which made them shine like stars she turned to go and had not gone far with every sense keenly on the alert when she became aware that she was being followed 
suddenly stopping she swung round just in time to see a figure spring behind a tree upon her left she had only had the merest glimpse but she was sure all the same that it was the figure of a man the tree was perhaps a hundred yards from where she was the mere distance made pursuit obviously futile if he chose to keep her at arm's length he could at least for an indefinite period why he was shadowing her and refusing to come out into the open she could not think the bare knowledge that she was being subjected to such treatment for unknown reasons by an unknown man who according to her latest acquaintance knew more of jail than he ought to made her conscious of uncomfortable sensations after momentary hesitation she started again not this time heading straight for home but branching off on a side path to see if she would still be followed she had not gone twenty yards before she was aware that the chase had been renewed although she had heard nothing and had not looked round something told her that the man behind had quickened his steps and drawn much closer the path led to where the trees were thickest the idea that it might be his intention to make himself known to her in the most secluded part of the wood did not commend itself to her at all constitutionally fearless as a rule she would have laughed to scorn a suggestion that she could be afraid of any man under any conditions anywhere then for some reason the notion that the unknown pursuer might force himself upon her at some moment and in some spot which would be of his choosing not hers filled her with sudden panic with such sudden panic indeed that almost before she realized what she was doing she deserted the path and dashed off at a run toward timberham as if her one object was to reach it by the shortest cut she had not however run very many steps before it was borne in on her that her behaviour was undignified as it was unwise there was no semblance of a path she would not only if she persisted in going straight on have to make the best of her way through bracken which was in places more than six feet high but also through a thick undergrowth of all sorts and kinds if she succeeded in getting through she would present an undesirable spectacle when she reached the other side common sense coming to her aid regaining some remnants of her presence of mind stopping as suddenly as she had started she turned to confront her pursuer this time instead of attempting concealment he stood watching her in apparent enjoyment of the awkward position into which she had managed to get herself desisting for the moment from the chase he remained on the path which he had just quitted rubbing his hands over each other with an expression of amusement on his unprepossessing visage which when she saw it she resented he addressed her in the curiously low tone of voice in which he had warned the two girls of the approaching police which although it scarcely rose above a whisper had such a singularly penetrating power rather nasty going there isn't it miss i do hope you weren't running away from me because i can't think why you should now that she saw him clearly miss graham could not think why she should either there was nothing formidable about his appearance he was undersized narrow-chested with a slight stoop not only had he neither beard nor moustache but he had no eyebrows either there was a pinkish tinge about his eyes which reminded her of a ferret's he had on a shabby blue serge suit and a billycock hat a size too big for him which he wore a little on one side of his head miss scarlet had referred to his closely cut hair but so far as elsie could see the thing went farther his head was as hairless as his face his manner was apologetic and there was that in his appearance which seemed to hint that the more he was allowed to keep himself in the background the better pleased he would be miss graham felt that she had seldom seen a person whom she liked less at first sight what do you mean by daring to follow me about she demanded 
who are you as to who i am miss a party did ought to have a name didn't he shall i say my name's fitzherbert lionel fitzherbert a good name lionel and a good name fitzherbert lionel fitzherbert esq i couldn't have a more respectable name could i and of course miss you're miss graham very pleased i am to make your acquaintance although his bearing was cringing it was insolent in some indescribable fashion it was threatening also as if he were some dangerous obscene creature who only needed courage to take her by the throat what are you doing in these woods are you aware that they are private private are they think of that such nice woods i always have held that all land ought to be national property then we shouldn't hear about woods being private but i suppose that when a party has business there he's admitted even to a private wood and so it happens that i did have what might be called a little business with you what business could you possibly have with me nothing could have been more contemptuous and defiant than the air with which the girl put the question and nothing more outwardly deferential and more covertly insolent and threatening than the strain in which he answered that's just it what business could a chap like me have with a young lady like you i will say this miss that whatever does come of it i've had a very pleasant afternoon and so accidental like i saw you find those papers in the tree and i saw miss scarlet find you finding them and i heard every word you said to each other lucky mr palgrave he may have got himself into trouble we all of us do it sometimes but we don't all of us win the love of a girl like that the red-headed queen of song and dance ah many a time i've seen her in the halls and i've almost fell in love with her myself i was very glad that i was able to give you that tip about them coppers it's not nice having dealings with them no one knows that better than i do very sorry i should have been to see two such charming young ladies in their hands very sorry indeed i don't think we ran much risk will you be so kind as to tell me what your business is with me if you have any which i very much doubt and go she tried to be scornful again but the effort was rather a failure in spite of herself she was conscious of a sinking of the heart caused by something which she seemed to see between the fellow's words that his intention was that she should see that something every instant she suspected more and more oh no miss you don't doubt you don't do nothing of the kind not you you know that i've got business with you and what's more you know what the business is how should i know ah miss that's it how should you know is it because conscience makes cowards of us all is that it your conscience has all at once made a coward of you look how white you've got all the pretty colours gone out of your cheeks and how your eyes are staring as if they saw a ghost or something worse and how you're standing as if you were struck to the ground if you didn't know what my business was you wouldn't stop there talking to muck like me you a fine young lady you'd order me off and if i wouldn't go you'd march to the house and send your servants to chuck me into the road but you don't because you know it's me who can do the ordering not you undoubtedly a surprising change had taken place in the young lady's appearance which was not inaccurately described by the fellow's words it even seemed as if something had tied her tongue into knots so that she experienced a difficulty in speaking it was with obvious pains that she delivered herself of a short sentence i i don't know what you mean 
now miss graham don't you tell me a lie excuse my plain speaking but don't you do it don't let there be any lies between you and me it will be such a pity you do know what i mean but although you know i'll tell you what does shakespeare say about a deed without a name that's it a deed without a name and to my thinking you and me had better leave it without a name now you do know what i mean it seemed that she did and the knowledge had brought something into her face which had changed its entire character something which it was terrible to see the sight of it seemed even to affect the man in front of her he shrank backwards as if frightened his observations took the form of a remonstrance his voice became more pronouncedly a whisper always with a curiously penetrating quality that sort of thing's no good what's the good of it i once saw macbeth what struck me about the play most was what a fool he made of himself afterwards macbeth i mean what's done's done his own words showed he knew that as well as any one yet he kept making a fuss about spilt milk it made me sick the way he carried on afterwards you've no call to be afraid of me do you suppose that i am afraid of you the question was so patly asked and in so curious a tone that his discomfiture was evident he drew back with a startled gesture as if the fear were on his side rather than on hers i'm sure i don't want you to be afraid of me all i want is that we should understand each other then let us do so at once how am i to understand you again her manner had suddenly altered she strode towards him through the gorse bushes with the air of one who carries a weapon in either hand it was she who seemed to threaten he who cowered don't you try to come that over me because i won't have it tell me what i'm to understand i'll tell you when it suits me but not till it almost seemed as if she would have taken him by the throat when she went close up to him she was so much the taller of the two that compared to her his shrinking attitude seemed to make of him a pygmy one felt that if she had had a weapon in her hand she would have struck him the consciousness that that was so made him play the cur don't you touch me or you'll be sorry touch you as she echoed his words she laughed and at the sound of her laughter he started his arm went up as if to screen his head the only thing with which i'd touch you would be a pitchfork i'd use it to thrust you into the gutter and to keep you there till you were carried off with the rest of the refuse into the main sewer turning she strode off along the path he called after her all right that's the line you're going to take is it very well i'm agreeable only mind you i know and you know i know and if you don't come to a proper understanding with me you'll be sorry miss graham went on a few steps further then suddenly stopping turned again speaking to him from where she stood pray what do you call a proper understanding he glanced furtively about him it's no good our speaking too loud we don't want the rabbits and the pheasants to know our business if you don't mind i'll come a little closer she said nothing he came towards her along the path when he was within about six feet of her she stopped him that's close enough i'm afraid of neither the pheasants nor the rabbits he drew the back of his hand across his thin colourless lips keeping his ferret's eyes fixed on her in an unblinking stare just so only you know what i mean there's no call for you to think that i mean to be unfriendly 
please don't try to be friendly with me a man can't help it where a nice young lady like you is concerned if you were to make a remark like that to me with a convenient pond in reach i'd put you into it i've no doubt you'd try not a mite of doubt uncommon quick with your hands you are uncommon as i happen to know there was something behind his words which he intended her to see and which she saw the rigidity came back to her face seeming even to alter its shape so that it was square and set and hard and a gleam came into her eyes which affected him so unpleasantly that he made what was perhaps a shuffling attempt at an apology you shouldn't provoke me it's your fault i don't want to speak of it i shouldn't speak of it if you weren't to talk about putting me into ponds i don't like that kind of thing any more than you like the other it isn't to be supposed i should very well then you treat me reasonably and i'll treat you the same that's all i ask again he drew the back of his hand across his lips as if he wished the gesture to express the fact that no one could be more reasonable than he desired to be as she said nothing he went on i did mean to finish our little business right straight off and i did hope we should have parted friends but after what happened this afternoon your finding the papers and miss scarlet and them two coppers and all things have been altered see what i mean i do not perhaps it was something which she saw in his unpleasant eyes which she kept fixed in an unblinking stare upon her face which caused her lips to twitch as if in anger as throughout his tone when he spoke was significant of much more than his words conveyed we'll leave it at that that you don't know what i mean though i've my doubts i'm rather afraid that we shall have to put off our little understanding till this evening there are one or two things i should like to think about we don't want to do anything in a hurry either of us do we suppose we say that if you take a constitutional by yourself after dinner you'll find me in the summer-house it's a convenient distance for a stroll is the summer-house and we shall be all alone with no one likely to interrupt us it is on the bank of the lake so that if you feel like it you can throw me in and anyhow i shan't keep you long when we've once got fairly to work we ought to understand each other very nicely in less than five minutes shall we put it that you'll come to have a little chat with me in the summer-house after dinner you can put it as you choose i'll give instructions that the dogs are to be let loose so that the grounds may be kept clear of tramps oh no you won't not you you'll come and have that little chat when you've thought things over quietly as you will do between this and then you'll see that that's the safest and the wisest course and after dinner you'll stroll round to the summer-house as sure as you and i are standing here again there was that on her face and in her attitude as she silently regarded him which suggested that if she had been possessed of a convenient weapon of offence it would have been the worse for him and again as if fearful of he knew not what he shrunk a little back but she did nothing and said nothing turning she moved away from him along the path he stood and watched her when she had gained the point at which the woods came to an end and the path stopped at a gate on the other side of which were the grounds proper a sound seemed to rend the quiet air it was three notes of a whistle a high a low then a high one again which someone had whistled with surprising shrillness miss graham who had her hand upon the gate started as if the sound had struck her an actual blow looking back she saw that the man was still standing where she had left him holding a finger to his lips 
he called to her still without seeming to raise his voice and though he was at a distance of quite one hundred yards every word he uttered was distinctly audible that's my call that is lionel fitzherbert's own private and particular wherever and whenever you hear it you'll know it's a call to you if you're not you know where in good time you'll hear it to-night and you'll know what it means as i remarked just now it'll be a call to you End of chapters 11 and 12